Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 19 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 29th. And I'll tell you what, even though the combine is not going to happen in the traditional sense in Indianapolis, the pre-draft process is already in full swing. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, we've already had two big moves at the quarterback position and a three-time Defensive Player of the Year asked for his release, and it was granted. And I'll tell you what, we, we also have some moves that haven't been made yet that we're still waiting on pins and needles to see if it does happen. The Jets, are they going to trade Sam Darnold? Are they not? Are they going to stick with him and build around him? Or are they going to decide to go ahead and get a new quarterback there for uh, the, the new regime under uh, Robert Sala, the new head coach? And then there's Deshaun Watson in Houston. Houston's already said that he's not on the market, but Bleacher Report uh, reported that Carolina is actually trying to make some moves with, with their salary cap to then make a run at Deshaun Watson. If Carolina is not successful in getting Deshaun Watson, you have to expect Carolina to use that number eight overall pick on a quarterback. The question then is going to be, is it going to be Trey Lance or will you see Mac Jones in that spot? I think his performance at the Senior Bowl with, with Matt Rule, something to keep an eye on, just saying, that could be the fit for Mac Jones and potentially be a top 10 pick. Wouldn't surprise me. You know, We saw Daniel Jones. A lot of people didn't think he was a top 10 pick. Dave Gettleman pulled the trigger, number six overall. So we, we've seen this happen before. So I could absolutely see this happen with Carolina there at number eight if they can't get their guy into Sean Watson. But the moves that did happen, first you look at the Lions and trading Matthew Stafford. Now Stafford comes to, to the organization and says, look, I want to challenge for a Super Bowl. I want to go to a contender, you know, ask for his trade. And, and new GM, Brad Holmes, finds his dancing partner in his old boss, Les Snead. That's right. Brad Holmes was with the Rams before he took over the GM spot there with the Lions. And uh, you know what? The Rams, Les Snead, and uh, and Sean McVay, they don't believe in first-round picks apparently because when they traded uh, to get Matthew Stafford, they traded away their next two first-round picks. They couldn't trade away the one from this year because they already traded it to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. Plus, they gave up a third-round pick from this year's draft and Jared Goff. Now, Jared Goff is one of those curious cases. You know, didn't look great in uh, under Jeff Fisher. Sean McVay comes in, looks like the quarterback whisperer. Suddenly, Jared Goff looks like he could potentially be uh, that, that elite quarterback. But after the, the Super Bowl appearance there for the Rams, Jared Goff really up and down. And it seemed like he really kind of wore out his welcome there with, with Sean McVay. I think he got a little frustrated with Jared Goff that he didn't really take that leap that everyone was expecting him to. Now he's going with the proven commodity in Matthew Stafford, a guy that a lot of people think you know, is a top 10 quarterback in the league. You know you're going to get some toughness there at the quarterback position. A guy with a, a tremendous arm. Uh, I, I think they'll be able to do some things with their offense that they weren't able to do with Jared Goff. Um, the Lions, you know, there, there's talk that maybe at number seven they'll still go with the quarterback, even though they have Jared Goff on the roster. Let's pump the brakes there. You know, I, I think the Lions have too many other needs. I don't see them going quarterback number seven overall. But we'll get into into that talk here in just a little bit. The other trade involved the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'll tell you what, 
the Carson Wentz saga is is finally over, but Philly could not pull off a, a deal anywhere close to Matthew Stafford. They wound up trading him to the Colts, where Carson Wentz can be reunited with Frank Reich, and they end up getting a third round pick in this year's draft and a second round pick in next year's draft in return. You know, I think Carson Wentz with injury history and just the the inability to play consistent ball when healthy uh, really led to that, you know, just he, he wasn't commanding uh, as much on the market as, as someone like Matthew Stafford, a, a proven commodity at the quarterback position. And then there's 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 JJ Watt. You know, and, and with J.J. Watt, when you look at him, Houston has been his home. He, he's done so much there for that organization. But clearly, they're in a huge rebuild. David Culley coming in at, at, uh, as the head coach. They knew that Deshaun Watson was asking for a trade. Now, J.J. Watt really looking to go to a contender, whether it's Pittsburgh, could potentially even be Cleveland. Um, you know, There are a lot of teams, about a dozen teams, that are actually looking to, to bring in J.J. Watt. And look, you know, we know that J.J. Watt has been beat up with some of the injuries, but uh, when healthy, he's still one of the top defensive players in the league. So he's probably the number one free agent commodity that's out there. And uh, so a lot of things that still could potentially happen. You know, I think Odell Beckham Jr. could potentially be on the move. Uh, there's talk that Stephon Gilmore uh, with the Patriots, he could potentially be on the move. A lot of moves, you know, big moves with big name players could potentially happen this offseason. Really unprecedented uh, in, in these times. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how everything plays out. And that's what makes it so difficult with the mock drafts is trying to decide exactly where to go right now. It, it's really kind of a crapshoot because you don't know what free agency is going to hold. You really don't know what March is going to look like. And into April, really before you you have a, a great picture of it, but it's still fun to go ahead and put those mock drafts together, really start taking a look at what are the team needs as of right now and really what how things are starting to shape, shape up. And I'll tell you what, I know we started with my first 20 picks in my mock draft uh, in, in the last podcast and... Things have already changed. I've already started looking at things with with that pod with that that mock draft, and as I started getting into the second and third rounds, I started looking at you know when might a team pull the trigger on different draft needs, and I started to kind of reshuffle uh, my mock draft just a little bit because I'm also looking at the players and guys who when they would come off the board. And I was looking at some of my guys that were falling into the second round, and some of the guys that had even falling into the third round, and I said, wait. You know, this guy is going to come off the board in round one. I need to make sure that I'm uh, really making my adjustments and finding the right fit for them in round number one. So what we're going to do with this podcast is we're actually going to walk through the first three rounds of the draft. We're going to do it pretty quickly, and we're going to make sure that we hit on every team. Um, But we're going to go ahead and take a look at those and and really talk through uh, some of these picks and and the the rationale behind them. So since we've got a lot of picks to cover, uh, 106 in all, um, we're going to go ahead and and get things started right away. And and the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously, Urban Meyer, track record of rebuilding programs, and everything's been at the collegiate uh, level to this point. But now... He's got the keys to to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's getting himself Trevor Lawrence at at the quarterback position, 6'6", 220 pounds, uh, the junior out of Clemson. We know uh, what Trevor Lawrence is going to be bringing to the table there. Um, And so, you know, I I, I think Urban Meyer 
throughout the rest of the draft. He's going to be looking to not only upgrade some of that defense, but find some weapons there for, for Trevor Lawrence. Also needs to make sure that he's protecting uh, his, his investment. So I think as you go through this draft, that's you know some of the themes that you're going to be seeing. I think at number 25, you can go in a number of directions. They do need an offensive lineman, um, you know, depending on what happens with Cam Robinson. He gave up five sacks a season ago. Now he's a free agent. He may command top dollar on, on the market. So there's a chance that someone like Dylan Radins um, could potentially be, be in play here. Um, but I, I think, you know, Jacksonville, do they really want a rookie left tackle protecting the blind side of the rookie quarterback? That's going to be the big question mark. You know, do you really want to pull the trigger in round number one? I think maybe it might be best to to wait uh, with that pick. You know, they they also need a safety. I, I could see uh, Trevon Merrick potentially coming off the board here. You know, there's always going to be a safety that ends up popping into round number one. We saw that with uh, you know with, with Darnell Savage, um, Jonathan Abram. Uh, I remember when Carl Joseph came off the board in the first half of, of round number one a, a few years ago. Uh, so there's a chance that that Merrick could be the guy here. But I like Christian Barmore. Now look. Pro Football Focus noted that he's only played you know 747 snaps, not even 800 snaps at Bama. But when he was on the field, he was a difference maker. You know, eight sacks as an interior pass rusher. You know that 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 tells you something there. That a quick penetration, getting into the backfield. You know, Jacksonville needs a, a defensive uh, defensive line help. You know, Taven Bryan has fa- failed to live up to expectations. So that means that they really need to attack that the middle of that defense. Uh, you know. The front has just been porous against the run. You know, struggle to put pressure on the quarterback. You know, they only had 18 sacks. So you, you're able to not only take Josh Allen on the outside, but now you've got Christian Barmore pushing the pocket on the inside. And look, he was virtually unpo- unblockable in the College Football National Championship. He was just harassing Justin Fields all game long. Christian Barmore, 6'5", 310 pounds, makes a ton of sense here. Uh, Bama, yet another guy coming off the board in round number one. You look at round two. And I think Jacksonville, uh, you know, they were they ranked 26 in the league in pass defense. And you look at it, you know, to make matters worse, DJ Hayden, uh, Trey Herndon, and Sidney Jones are all free agents. I think when you look at this, you know, they need to find somebody who can, you know, with some size to play opposite C.J. Henderson, their first pick uh, from a season ago, number nine overall. And I'm looking at Kelvin Joseph. Now, Kelvin Joseph had a phenomenal redshirt sophomore season there for the uh, Kentucky Wildcats, and there's a chance that he can end up moving into round number one. Right now, I only have three corners coming off the board in round one, and traditionally speaking, you're looking at uh, more than that, more often than not. Uh, In last year's draft, we actually saw six corners come off the board in round one, so there's a great chance that that Kelvin Joseph can be one of those corners come off in round one. But if the Jaguars stay put at number 33 and Joseph's on the board, you have to imagine that they're going to jump at the chance to get him. A good size for the position, uh, fluid hips, turns and runs, provides blanket coverage on the outside, uh, tremendous ball skills as well, arriving at the catch point. Four interceptions led the SEC. Uh, keep an eye there for, for Kelvin Joseph. Um, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And then number 45 overall, the Jags sitting there. I think they address the secondary again. Again, they could potentially go offensive line. There could be some other help. Uh, but I'm looking at number 45, taking a safety. Andre Sisco out of Syracuse, six foot 203, the junior. You know, I, I think when you look at Sisco, 
know, he burst onto that national scene with seven interceptions as a true freshman, leaves Syracuse with 13 picks, had another 14 pass breakups as well. But this guy, he's fearless. He's a risk taker, uh, which is also why he's so successful in the back end of that defense. He's always thinking that he can make a play on the football, uh, has the speed to get there. Uh, in a hurry, tremendous ball skills that are needed to make that play, but that gambler mentality does get him into trouble. I think he's susceptible to being out of position, uh, you know, because he, according to Pro Football Focus, he also gave up eight touchdowns in his career. Uh, so he's definitely a high-risk, high-reward player in the deep middle of that defense. He is going to come downhill and, and, and hit you in the in the mouth in the box as well. Um, so Cisco, some people have him coming off the board in round one. I think the gambler mentality may push him to round two. But if I'm Urban Meyer, I, I want to go get playmaker on the back end of that defense i can live with some of the the gambler mentality um you know if, if he can make the plays that that cisco's been able to, to to showcase round three 65 overall i think they they go after amari rogers give trevor lawrence you know a familiar face there in the slot uh, amari rogers look he's 510 210 um very sudden off the line can make him miss in the open field but he's built like a running back making him tough to bring down in the open field I really like that pick. Um, I, I think that's one that you, know, you put him uh, in, in the offense with DJ Chark, who's finally having a, a breakout, had a thousand-yard season, uh, and Lavisca Chenault, who, you know, when healthy, can be another dynamic receiver as well for them. So it, it, I think that's going to be interesting for them to play out uh, as things go along. You know, I think the Jaguars ultimately you'll probably see them come off the board with a tackle, probably in round four. Um, you know, potentially a tight end. They have two picks in round four, so I think a tight end like Kenny Yaboa would make sense there as well. Um, so that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. So now we're going to move to another team with multiple first-round picks, and that's the New York Jets. And as I mentioned, Sam Darnold, in the final year of his, of his rookie deal, um, would the Jets pick up a fifth-year option? Likely not. So I think this is kind of, if he does stay with the team, this would be his audition to really show what he can do, you know, to... You know, in his defense, you know, I think the Jets need to build more around him. There's really a lack of, of depth at any of the skill positions. Um, really needs to to add some some weapons there for him, and also address that offensive line. Uh, you know, so this pick, if it's not a quarterback, if they, if if Joe Douglas says let's build around Sam Darnold, really give him a chance to succeed, then this pick could either be uh, Jamar Chase out of LSU. Or Panay Sewell, um, you know, I think if you believe that George Fant can be a right tackle, then I think you probably go receiver. And even if, you know, when you're looking at your board, even if you think George Fant is going to be your your right tackle of the future, then Panay Sewell and really Rashawn, you know, Rashawn Slater for that matter, they can kick inside to guard. Panay Sewell reminds me a lot of Brandon Sheriff, um, so I could absolutely see them really upgrading that, that guard position with Panay Sewell. Would you take him at number two overall? Maybe the Jets then trade down with a quarterback needy team and potentially still land either. Uh, you wouldn't have, you know, you'd have to move out uh, down no further than maybe the top seven or eight to be able to get a chance to land either Sewell or Slater, but it could definitely happen. I have him taking Zach Wilson, at least as of right now, um, because you know I, I think there's a great chance that they do end up going with a, a, a new quarterback, although I think Sam Darnold would fit well in Mike LaFleur's West Coast offense. So this is one where I continue to go back and forth on, but Zach Wilson to me, you know, he's my number two quarterback in this year's draft. Uh, a, a guy who was just so explosive 
you know, this is a guy when he gets outside the pocket, um, you know, a lot of quarterbacks are very, um, very deliberate with their delivery. They'll square their shoulders and then the ball, you know, the hips and the, and the shoulder or hips and the arm come around. Everything is all one real quick explosive movement, um, very sharp. And, you know, people talk about his his base, that he's not always throwing, you know, with a, with a, a solid base. But I'll tell you what, neither did Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech. I talked about how he, he would move left or right, move forward or backward, uh, a lot of times off the back foot and still be able to deliver it with velocity. Zach Wilson is able to do the same thing. I've heard some people talk about, you know, the inconsistency with his deep ball accuracy. I, I beg to differ with that. I think this is one of the things to where, uh, you know, he was making throws that very few guys in the NFL even can, can make on the run. It reminds me a lot of, of Josh Allen when he's coming out of Wyoming and his ability to push the ball down the field. Uh, I, I think Zach Wilson, though, is a, is a bit more accurate than, than Josh Allen coming out of college. So uh, I think this would be a nice match there for the Jets. But, but like I said, we'll have to keep an eye on, on Sam Darnold's future because if Sam Darnold stays, you know, I think he can fit in well with, with what Mike LaFleur wants to do. Now, the Jets, 23, they could go receiver. You know, I, I think you could go Kadarius Toney, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, um, even you know go running back and go Travis Etienne here. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, if Aziz Ojolari is sitting here, you need a, you need a, a you know an edge rusher. Absolutely, you know, uh, Terrell Basham and Jordan Jenkins who combined for just five and a half sacks. Uh, the starters there at the edge rush, they're both free agents. Ojolari at 6'3", 240 pounds. Uh, might maybe the most dynamic edge rusher in the draft. You know he's very twitchy, shows tremendous change of directions, and has the flexibility to turn the corner in a hurry. Once he gets that edge, he'll flatten out and explosive speed to get to the quarterback. Now, if you saw that three sack performance against Cincinnati in the, in the Peach Bowl, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And imagine teaming Ojolari with Quinn and Williams. That would be fun to watch for sure. Now you move on to to round number two, and what do the Jets do? Hey, you can wait until round two and still end up landing a receiver. How about Terrace Marshall? There's a chance he could come off the board in round one, possibly to the Ravens. Uh, but at 6'1", 200 pounds, this is a guy. Look, you know he he led uh, led LSU at, at that receiver position. Has that blend of size, speed, and athleticism uh, to match up either on the outside or in the slot. And look, you know, the Jets, you know, Jamison Crowder was the team's leader in all categories, 59 catches, 699 yards, six touchdowns, clearly nothing to write home about. You know, he is reliable. Denzel Mim is is showing promise, but but the Jets need additional weapons, so that makes sense to get Marshall here. Um, you know, I think 34 has to be the best receiver that's on the board, uh, in, in my opinion. So then the Jets... Round number three, this is where things kind of get interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think you can get a running back as well for the Jets. And I'm looking at Michael Carter out of out of North Carolina. You know, Frank Gore led the team in rushing with just 653 yards. And then when you look at that, Ty Johnson, Michael Pirine, Josh Adams, that, that trio finished with just 643 yards. And the group just tallied 49 receptions in 2020. So the Jets, they need a versatile running back for whoever's playing quarterback. And I think Michael Carter, 5'8", 199 pounds, coming out of North Carolina, finished with back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons on the ground, also hauling in uh, 82 passes in his career for the Tar Heels. He makes a ton of sense. If you didn't get a chance to to see him uh, make plays um, at – at the Senior Bowl, he he was a guy that you know, he was bouncing off of tackles. He looked tremendous, and so I'm looking at the Jets, 
and that would make a ton of sense for me. And then I think as you go later on into the draft, uh, number 87 overall, this is a, a pick that they got from Seattle. And I, I think they could they could potentially go for another edge rusher like uh, Ojolari in round one because they, they just need to inject some life into that pass rush. Um, you know, when you're looking at that group, uh, just really nothing to write home about at, to this point. You know, I think Basham and Jenkins, uh, you know, really are more role players, should not be starting. And so I look at a guy like, like Quincy Roche, explosive pass rusher, extremely productive, 30 and a half sacks at Temple in Miami, you know, and yes, he struggles to get off blocks as a defensive end. So that's why I think he needs to play in space, be an outside linebacker in a 34 defense so he can showcase that at least the elite athleticism. I think he needs to develop in coverage. So I'd expect him to start off as a situational pass rusher, but I think he'll end up, you know, he has starter potential at the next level. Look, he's 6'4", 235, needs to add some, uh, you know, some, some weight. He's, you know, needs to add a little bit there to the to the bones, um, but I think he's absolutely a guy that can can play at the next level. You know, I think fourth round. You know, I said we'd only do the first three rounds, but I'm looking at Kendrick Green out out of Illinois. Could potentially come off the board on day two, but if he falls to the fourth round, the Jets would need to snatch him up, give them you know another interior presence. If again they don't take Panay Sewell in round number one, Dolphins. Dolphins are another team that uh, you know has that luxury of having multiple first-round picks, and they actually get the third-round, third pick overall from Houston in the Laramie Tunsil deal. And uh, this is a pick that I think, when you look at it, it really makes sense that it's going to come down to one of one of two players. And I think a lot of people are talking about, well, what about Penny Sewell? You could potentially have bookend tackles which is true, but I, I think you get the playmaker at receiver first, and then you can get that tackle either later on in round one or potentially even in round two. I, I think the depth at the top of that, that offensive tackle position will allow them to be able to do that. This pick, again, is going to come down to Jamar Chase or, or Devontae Smith. I think you've got you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa and, and Devontae Smith. Look, you know that was the pair that, that caught that you know, through and caught that touchdown pass as true freshman against Georgia to win the national title. And, and look, you know, how could you not have the Heisman Trophy winner, the AP Player of the Year, Walter Camp Player of the Year, not come off the board in the first three picks? You know, ultimately... Could Jamar Chase come off the board here? Absolutely. You know he did do a lot of the same things that Devonte Smith did uh, as a as a sophomore. Devonte Smith, as a senior, I know you know a lot with the analytics. They talk about uh, you know the that age uh, you know can factor into it and the breakout age. But uh, I'm still looking at Devonte Smith. This is a guy that is the total package. Um, yes, he is six foot and 175 pounds. But I think of Marvin Harrison when I watch him play. He's explosive. He runs excellent routes. Uh, tremendous hands. Uh, look, they don't call him the Slim Reaper for nothing. Um, I, I think this is a guy that uh, could end up being a star, and it makes a ton of sense for Miami to to take him there with number three. Um, if he does fall, I think maybe you know maybe Philly at number six if they don't go Kyle Pitts. Uh, could also fall to the Giants there at, at number 11. You know, it really is going to kind of depend on how things shape up um, as we move through this pre-draft process. Sitting at 18, the Dolphins. Look, uh, you know, again, could go in a few different directions. They could go defense. They could go off to tackle. Uh, you know, Christian Darrisaw is sitting. You know, could potentially be sitting there. Um, 
and uh, at linebacker, potentially Jeremiah Wusukoromoa if he's on the board. But I'm thinking running back. I mean, you look at the running back position, you've got Miles Gaskin, Salvan Ahmed, you know, really nothing to write home about there. Miles Gaskin, more of a complimentary back. Najee Harris, 6'2, 230 pounds, a dude that, look, you know, he. He has the, the power and, and contact balance between the tackles, the speed and athleticism on the perimeter to run by you, or, sorry, uh, Nick McLeod, but uh, you know, he can jump over defenders as well, uh, and then display his soft hands in the passing game. Also has that clear understanding of his role in pass protection. This is a guy who's always in the right position. That's why he's my number one running back and not Travis Etienne, is because he does a tremendous job as a pass protector. Now look, two years ago, another former Crimson Tide running back by the name of Josh Jacobs came off the board in round number one to the Raiders, and he's a star. I think Harris has a chance to be able to do the exact same thing. So Miami gets, gets a couple of skill position receivers. I'm sorry, skill skill position guys in uh, the first round. And so now you're looking at round number two at number 36 overall, Miami, again, another pick from Houston. This is where I think they go Dylan Radins. A 6'6", 298, North Dakota State. And Dylan Radins, look, two-year starter for the Bison. Tremendous physicality in the run game. 63 knockdowns in 2019, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, has a tremendous get-off and uh, you know, able to convert that speed to power to generate a lot of movement. Also equally adept in pass protection, not giving up a single sack, um, you know, holding down Trey Lance's blind side. Um, you know, I think he also showed at the Senior Bowl, you know, he can silence all those uh, skeptics thinking that an FCS you know, offensive tackle shouldn't be taken so early. Um, so I, I think you go offensive line, which then allows you to convert to that, that defense and, and really pay some attention to you know, Brian Flores' defense there uh, with a second pick in round number two. Go after Chas Surratt out of North Carolina, 6'2", 230 pounds. Um, Surratt is such an intriguing prospect, converted from quarterback to inside linebacker following a sophomore season. You know, Surratt, look, over 200 tackles, 22 and a half going for loss, 12 and a half sacks, two interceptions, five pass breakups, and a pair of forced fumbles. You know, the quarterback instincts allows him to play fast. He can diagnose plays in a hurry. And look, you know, this guy, he's just scratching the surface on you know, the type of plays that he can bank. He's the type of three-down linebacker that Brian Flores is going to want on his defense. And look, you know, Landon Roberts is a free agent. I think the Finns could use an upgrade. And Chas Surratt is absolutely the type of guy that can make that happen. Moving on to, let's see, round number three. When you look at Miami in round number three, I actually have them going offensive line again. And I'm actually looking at Quinn Miners, uh, 6'3", 320 pounds out of Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, This was a guy that I really wasn't familiar with until he got to the Senior Bowl. Then I got to watch some of his games and really watched him there at the Senior Bowl. And this dude, man, he's a bad dude. He's physical. He's a mauler. He wants to beat you up. And he played on the outside there for for Wisconsin Whitewater. But, you know, he really showed that he's going to make his money there uh, along the interior of the line, whether it's a guard or center. Um, You know, I think he can absolutely be that guy. Dolphins have a need on the interior of that line. They drafted, uh, you know, uh, a season ago, they drafted Robert Hunt. And I think with the, the addition of Dylan Radins, he'll be able to move inside to guard his, his natural position. They drafted Austin Jackson, obviously, in the first round to play left tackle. And then you also have Solomon Kinley, who can end up being that left guard. That center position needs to be addressed. Ted Karras is a free agent. Quinn Miners makes perfect sense to me. You add him to the mix, and uh, I, it, 
it just it seems to be a match made in heaven uh, there for, for Miami. They get some physicality there for the running game and, and Najee Harris. That'd be a lot of fun to watch uh, you know, as, as we get things going. So now, Atlanta at number four. Justin Fields, still my guy there for them. You know, 6'3", 228 pounds out of, out of Ohio State. We, we know what, what Justin Fields is capable of. And, and when you're looking at this, you know, Matt Ryan, he's going to be 36 years of age uh, to start the season. Uh, Arthur Blank's already come out and said that we're not moving the guy. There's no plans to move to, to move Matt Ryan. But look, you know, and, and, and really Matt Ryan you know, has, has, hasn't missed very many games. I believe it was eight games over uh, over the, the span of his career. Um, so he's been a guy that has been very durable. I'm sorry, just missed three games since 2008. Uh, conversely, the defense hasn't finished higher than 20th in total defense in four of the last five seasons. I've uh, been in the bottom third of the league in sacks in 28, since 2018. So this pick could absolutely be Micah Parsons, get them a pass rusher. Uh, they're at that linebacker position. Um, you know, it could potentially, if they want to go with a with another defensive player, I think they probably look to trade down with one of the quarterback needy teams. Um, but if they stand, you know, stand pat there at number four, I think all signs will be pointing to uh, taking that quarterback of the future for uh, their, their head coach Arthur Smith. Let Matt Ryan play out his contract. He signed through uh, the, the twenty twenty. Let's see, he's got yeah, he's got he's in the third year of a, of a five year five year deal, so he still has 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 a couple more years left. Um, but Justin Fields is one of those guys who I mean, he's tremendously accurate, very tough. Um, the pocket presence is, is unreal. His ability to move, uh, you know, and keep those eyes down the down the field, throws his receivers open. The ball placement is excellent. Anticipate throws with anticipation. Uh, the arm strength seems to be getting better and better. You know, it, it looked better this year than it did a season ago. So I, I think Atlanta, you know, they, they it behoove them to look for the quarterback of the future. You know, I think you know, Atlanta isn't prepared to be this high, you know, next season. So why not get the quarterback while you can? Moving on to round two, if they don't get their, their pass rusher in round one, it's imperative that they do in round two at number 35 overall. Take Joseph Osai out of Texas if he's there. He may come off the board to KC there with the 32, uh, 32nd pick overall. But Osai, if he's there, 6'4", 253, the junior. Look, you know this is a guy who was living in opposing backfields. Quick first step, powerful hands, relentless motor, 15 and a half sacks. Uh, I'm sorry, 15 and a half tackles for loss and then five and a half sacks this past seasons. Um, but when you look at it, it really doesn't speak to just how often he was living in opposing backfields, just how uh, how disruptive he was. You know, if you watched him at the end of that Oklahoma State game, chase down Spencer Sanders from behind and ultimately won that game for Texas. You know, because Oklahoma State they had a chance to score, and he ultimately brought him down in overtime, which sealed the deal. Atlanta, you know, look, they're struggling to get after the passer yet again. Finished with just 29 on the year. Good for a tie for 23rd in the league. What makes things worse is only two players finished the season with more than three three sacks. Osai makes a ton of sense if he's there on the board. Uh, and then you move on to round number three. When you look at the Falcons in round three, I, I think you have to, to look at potentially addressing that, that running game. That running game finished 27th in the league. And now, you know, their top two leading rushers, Todd Gurley, Brian Hill, both hitting free agency. 
Now's the time to get that running back. And I think JV and Hawkins out of Louisville, look, he's 5'9", 195. The redshirt sophomore is not the biggest back, but he has tremendous lower body strength, which allows him to just bounce off would-be tacklers. Just looks like a pinball. Um, you know, he's, he's not only tremendously sudden, but he also has that second year to go the distance. I'm a big fan of JV and Hawkins. I, I think third round will be great value for him. And Atlanta could then shore up that running game. Uh, you know, I, I think that would definitely help. So they go quarterback, defensive end, running back with their first three picks in the draft. Cincinnati sitting there at number five. This is an interesting team. And you know, Zach Taylor, he's got his Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow. And look, you know, Joe Burrow was 2-7-1 in his 10 starts at Cincy. Um, but he did complete over 64% of his passes, threw for over 2,800 yards with 13 touchdowns and just five interceptions. People are still knocking him because of the lack of arm strength and, and, and is he really going to be a guy that can excel at the next level, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, the haters are going to hate. Um, but look, you know, he also led the league in sacks with 32 and hits, a, you know, 72. Thank you, Pro Football Focus, yet again uh, during that time. You know, week, week 11, you know, he had that ACL tear. You know, that was against Washington. And, uh, you know, since then, you know, Cincinnati really struggled to, to get anything going offensively. So there's talk that, you know, potentially they could go after Kyle Pitt. You know, I know AJ Green is a free agent, may not be back. You can add, uh, you know, a, a pass-catching tight end to the mix. Uh, you know, and look, Kyle Pitts is special, but you know, when you're looking at the Bengals and you look at that offensive line and the number of sacks that were given up, man, I, I just, I, you have to protect your investment. You know, you've got Jonah Williams. You know, he's shown promise, but you know that right knee injury cut his season short last year. Bobby Hart and Akeem Adenije, they filled in for Williams. They combined to give up eight sacks. Um, you know, so I think they got to have that upgrade. And and look, you know, Panay Sewell, he solidified himself as a top offensive tackle prospect, not allowing a single sack. Um, you know, in 936 pass blocking snaps in 2019, and just one over just under 1,400 career snaps in his two seasons for the Ducks. I think people give him a hard time about some of the reps with his footwork, but this is a guy, look, you know, he's still shown, you know, that tremendous power. You know, I, I think he, he shows better than average, you know, movement skills laterally. And look, you know, he is he a generational prospect? I don't know that I necessarily go that far just yet, but you see how talented he is. And if you can, can clean up some of the footwork issues, he can be a monster there for, for the Bengals. And I think if you have bookend tackles with Jonah Williams and Panay Sewell, I think you you feel much more confident in your health if you're Joe Burrow. Moving on to round two, talking about that tight end. How about Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State? Baby Gronk, 6'5", 258. And, you know, he lived up to that nickname. He's a punishing inline blocker, both in the run game and taking care of his quarterback. But he was also, you know, a, a great job sealing the edge, a generated movement when scoring up defenders, picking off moving targets at the second level. But he was equally dangerous in the passing game offering soft hands, uh, the ability to stretch defenses vertically up the seam, and, and look, you know, made, made plays after the catch just like Gronk, and had a knack for finding the end zone with 16 touchdowns in three seasons. Very reminiscent yet again of Gronk, further solidifying that nickname of Baby Gronk, and you give yet another weapon for Joe Burrow to team with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Uh, you know, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. You can wait until round two to get your tight end. And uh, I, again, I, I think Kyle, Kyle Pitts is one of those those tight end prospects that you know we haven't seen before. But I, I think you can let's let's protect Joe Burrow first. Moving on to round three, 
Bengals, look, you know, the pass rush was a disaster. Only 17 sacks. And now your your top sack artist in, in Carl Lawson, uh, who had just five and a half sacks, by the way. He's now a free agent. So I think the, the situation is dire uh, to get a pass rusher. And I'm looking at Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. Look, he's 6'7", 245, was just a menace uh, for Northern Iowa. Racked up 14 sacks in 2019, and as we know, FCS did not play in 2020. Uh, but look, the kid has, has a tremendous length to keep blockers at bay, um, secures that edge, uses the quickness to beat the interior lineman as well, um, rushing the quarterback on the inside. You saw him in the one-on-ones take some of those inside rushes and, and get home to the quarterback um, in, in the senior bowl. So I'm looking at Ellerson Smith. I think that would make a ton of sense there uh, in round three, number 69 overall for Cincinnati. So let me move on to number six, the Philadelphia Eagles. What do the Eagles do here? They finished with a 4-11-1 record. Carson Wentz, we know the, the disaster that happened there. He's now in Indianapolis taking over for, for Phillip Rivers, who retired. Um, so what do the Eagles do? Are they moving the, the, the team to, to Jalen Hurts? I think they kind of have to. Uh, but you know they're going to bring in a quarterback to, to duel with him question is going to be are you going to bring in a rookie so you'll have two you know a second year quarterback and a rookie quarterback really duking it out or are they going to bring in a veteran i think to me all signs point to them bringing in a veteran to compete with Jalen Hurts. i could be wrong but i think this number six pick look they could they could go micah parsons because they need linebackers they always needed linebackers and we keep talking about them potentially drafting a linebacker in round one and it just doesn't happen um, they could go with with, uh, with Kyle Pitts because Zach Ertz, his time in Philly looks to be done. He'll either be released or traded. Um, you know, and, and Dallas Goddard needs a running you know uh, a running partner, and so I think Kyle Pitts makes a lot of sense there as well. But I'm looking at Jay, uh, Jamar Chase. Look, he's six foot, two oh eight. You know, when, when Travis Fulgham, you know, a practice squad call-up, leads your team in receiving, you know changes have to be made at the receiver position. Alshon Jeffrey just continues to, to be banged up, um, has yet to play a full slate of games since 2013. Deshaun Jackson's been released. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the 2019 second-round pick, hasn't been very productive, just 14 receptions in 24 games over the past two seasons. And then Jalen Rager, first-round pick from a season ago, showed that he was a vertical threat, started all 11 games in which he played, but you know, battling some of those injuries, only caught 31 passes for 396 yards, saw the end zone just one time. Jamar Chase is your number one. You, know, you can have uh, you know, Rager be, be a guy that can stretch teams vertically, but Jamar Chase, you know, let's not forget, you know, don't have that recency bias. Jamar Chase, 84 catches, 1,780 yards, which is an average of 21.2 yards per reception, by the way, and 20 touchdowns, the same total as Devontae Smith in 2019, catching passes from Joe Burrow. And I'll tell you what, you know, Jamar Chase, could he come off the board at number three? Yes. Could he come off the board at number six? Absolutely. And I think this ultimately is the right pick for Philly uh, at the end of the day, though. Keep an eye on Kyle Pitts. I just think Jamar Chase, you have to go there if, if he's there. 37 overall in the second round. I'm looking at uh, Ifatu Melifonwu. You know, 6'3", 213 pounds, the corner out of Syracuse. You know, I'm, you know Darius Slade is, is cornerback one for, for Philly. But uh, Avante Maddox you know, playing opposite him. I, I think you can probably get an upgrade there. And look, you know, Melifonwu, you know, I think second round picks running the family. His brother Obi was a, a 2017 for a second round pick. 
uh, has excellent, you know, the, the younger Melifonwu, again, has excellent size like his brother, um, uses that to his advantage, both in man and zone coverage, 23 passes defended, evidence of the ball skills as well, and despite his size, he can sink his hips and make some pretty fluid transitions without giving a ton, giving up a ton of ground. So to me, I, I think Melifonwu would be a nice, uh, nice addition to that secondary and could potentially take over that starting spot early in his career. So moving on, and if we move to round number three, I mentioned the tight end position and Zach Ertz potentially moving on. I think Brevin Jordan uh, could potentially fall to to the beginning of round three. And I, I think, you know, Philly sitting there at, at, you know, 70 overall. Jordan, look, he's a little undersized. He's 6'3", 235. Um, he's only played in, in 26 games over the last three years for the Hurricanes, so he hasn't played a full season. So that can be a bit of a concern. So that could potentially drop his draft stock. That 40 time for him, I think, is going to play, you know, really play loom large for him. Evan Ingram was a first-round pick, ran in the 4-4s. You saw Hunter Bryant running in the 4-7s, 4-8s, and uh, you know, he wasn't even drafted. So I think Brevin Jordan has to at least run into that into that four or five range, given his his stature, in order to be a guy that could potentially be a, a, a day two pick. Um, but I think the what really sets him apart though is his physicality as a blocker, inline blocker. I think that's what will make him more valuable, and I think he'll still end up getting drafted. Uh, I think he'll end up getting pushed around three though. Uh, very athletic, versatile. Uh, can line up all over the field, reliable hands, stretches defenses, makes plays all over the field after the catch. You pair him with Dallas Goddard, you know, will give Jalen Hurts uh, a nice target there uh, at the tight end position. I think that that definitely makes some sense to me. Um, let's see what else we've got. There with the Eagles at number 85. So this is the pick that they get from Indianapolis in the trade for Carson Wentz. And I'm looking at Baron Browning out of Ohio State. You know, they need linebacker help. And, and Baron Browning is a guy that can be a three-down linebacker. You're not going to have to remove him off the field. This is a guy that can play on the outside and line up. You know, they had him lining up against slot receivers. He and Pete Warner were lining up against slot receivers uh, and and tight ends and running backs. A guy that can rush the pass. He can bend off the edge. Comes downhill against the run. To me, you know, if he's available there for Philly, I think you know, with one of those two third-round picks, if Brevin Jordan's off the board then I think you can use that 70th overall pick on Baron Browning. I think Baron Browning is a guy that has starter potential early on in his career. And frankly, I think he could end up even sneaking into round number two if the Rams decide to go uh, with the linebacker there uh, early in, um, in day two. Moving on to number seven, and I mentioned Detroit Lions, you know, what they were going to do potentially. Would they take a quarterback again? Uh, you know, I think if anything, you could, we could potentially see them go with a receiver. Um, you know, you've got Kenny Galladay. He could potentially move on as a free agent. I think he'll command top dollar. You look at Marvin Jones. Uh, he may follow his quarterback, Matthew Stafford. Uh, could also command top dollar as well. Danny Amendola, Mohamed Sanu, they're also free agents. So there's a good chance that, hey, even if Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase are off the board, Jalen Waddle can end up being a nice uh, a consolation prize, if you will. Um, you know, and that's a pretty nice consolation prize. You know, this is a guy that's drawing comparisons to Tyreek Hill. But 
you know, Detroit, they had the league's worst defense, and it was 30th against the pass, giving up nearly 320 yards a game. Then to make matters worse, Romeo Quara, Everson Griffin, finished with 13 and a half of the team's 24 sacks, are free agents, may not be back. You know, and you know, there isn't a Chase Young in the draft this year. But Gregory Rousseau, Quid- Quiddy Pay could each garner consideration here. But you know, what Pro Football Focus put out a stat that I thought was really awesome. The five linebackers that saw significant snaps for the Lions received a grade. Uh, you know, none of them received a grade over 65. You bring in Micah Parsons. He's the most ver- versatile linebacker in the draft. Make an immediate impact as a pass rusher. He's still learning, uh, you know, hit, dropping into coverage. But he can immediately be a, a pass rush help and also have an impact on the 28th ranked run defense with that sideline to sideline athleticism. You know he's going to probably run in the four fours at 6'3", 245 pounds. I think this is the, this is where the Lions should go. Will they go there? Who knows? It's the Lions. But I think they, they've got you know Brad Holmes there, Dan Campbell. I, I think they, they have to address that defense first and foremost before they, they move anywhere else. So as I mentioned, Detroit sitting there, round number two. They need a receiver um, with a 41st, 41st pick overall. Even if they re-sign Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones, any one of those receivers, you're still going to need... Uh, to add some additional receiving help. Right now, Quintez Cephas is the only wide receiver currently under contract with at least 15 receptions this past season. I'm looking at Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC. 6'1", 195 pounds. Fewer as reliable as St. Brown was for the Trojans. Sudden off the line, smooth in his route running, fearless over the middle, a knack for finding openings in the defense to make a play. A very cerebral player. He reminds me a bit of Robert Woods, uh, another Trojan. Uh, who was a favorite target of Jared Goff's in L.A., I think this could be his Robert Woods in Detroit. So that makes a ton of sense for me there. And then if we move on to round number three, this is where the Lions will have a, a couple of picks. And uh, Jalen Twyman at uh, you know 72 overall, the 6'2", 290-pound junior defensive tackle for Pittsburgh. And I mentioned... Uh, not only were they 28th in the league against, you know, uh, in sacks, 28th in the league against the run, finding that interior presence who can be a disruptive you know, on all three downs is a must. And, and Twyman, look, you know, few were as disruptive as him in his sophomore campaign in 2019. Burst off the ball, combined with that power at the point of attack, allowed him to blow up run plays and then collapse the pocket as an interior pass rusher, finished with 10 and a half sacks. Uh, solidified him as one of the top interior pass rushers and really the top pass rushers, you know, regardless of position. You know, he's got that squattier frame. He's only 6'2", 290. Um, that's not ideal along the interior of the line. I think that's probably going to, you know, take a hit to his draft stock. But that quick first step and then the the hands and the power. You know, he know he, he benched 225, 33 times. We'll see what he does at, the, at his pro day, if he can even up that number even more. That's going to allow him to be that three technique like Geno Atkins. And I think the Lions, they're going to need that type of a player uh, moving forward. And so Jalen Twyman makes a ton of sense for me. And then you look at number 89 overall. And again, that was the, the pick that they got from the Rams. And I'm looking at Nico Collins, another wide receiver, I know. But you know, when you have four, you know, four of your top receivers sitting there as free agents, you know at least a couple of them are going to be gone. Um, so I'm looking at Nico Collins. He's 6'4", 215 pounds. And um, you know, look, don't look at the stats. Please don't look at the stats. You know, he, he sat out 2020, and then the, stru- the, the quarterback play was, was poor. 
there at, uh, at Michigan throughout his career. So you really have to look at the, at the game film and watch this guy play. And I think he could end up being a steal because at, at 6'4", 215, he moves really well for his size. Um, you know, he runs well vertically, but then he can also sink his hips, allowing him to separate in and out of, you know, out of those breaks. And then he uses that size to his advantage, really boxes that, that DB out, puts him on his back hip, and then attacks the ball in the air by extending, for, extending those arms for it, making that defender really have to go all the way through him to get to the football, making it virtually impossible. I think Collins is going to be a more productive pro than he was uh, when he was at Michigan. So I think that makes, uh, you know, again, he, he makes a ton of sense there to, to the Lions. And, you know, could the Lions potentially go with, with a defensive end here, you know, at some point in the draft? Sure. You know, and, and I think you could potentially see that happen. But if they go Micah Parsons and you get Jalen Twyman, I think you could still end up going with an edge rusher there in round number four and be just fine. Um, they could also decide that they're going to take a receiver later on in the draft, and that's usually traditionally what you'll see with a team is they'll go with with a, a receiver or just any position if they're doubling up. Um, they'll go with one early and another one late. You know, if there it's, if it's truly a, a pressing need that's just a dire need, you may end up seeing a team take them with with back-to-back picks or two picks on day two or one on day one and one on day two. Um, you know, I think in this case, the receivers, at least right now, it's a pretty dire situation. We'll see what happens as free agency moves along. Carolina at number 10. Or I'm sorry, at number 8. I mentioned Matt, Mac Jones, and this is where I have Mac Jones coming off the board. He's 6'3", 214 pounds. Yes, they could go offensive line here. Yes, they could potentially address another linebacker position, get Micah Parsons. Awfully enticing, you know, if he ends up falling to number 8. Uh, but I think Carolina, they're looking to move for a quarterback. And, you know, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater, we know that they're upgrading from him. And so when you look at Mac Jones, th- this dude is is a stud, uh, you know, or was a stud at, at the Senior Bowl. The, the, the football IQ, his feel for the game, that made an impression on, on his head coach, uh, who happened to be Matt Rule. Um, you know, the preparation, I, I talked about that in, in past uh, podcasts and I just look at Mac Jones and should he be the number eight overall pick? Probably not. But we said that about Daniel Jones, as I said earlier. And uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, Matt, you know, Matt Rule's shown that he not only is true to his draft board, but he also likes to take guys that he's familiar with. You know, you see the guys from Temple and the guys from Baylor that that are on the roster. He coached this guy in the Senior Bowl. I'm just saying it could definitely happen. Looking at the number 39 overall pick, Carolina, they could go offensive tackle, but I think there's also a need at the corner position. Dante Jackson is holding down one of the starter spots, but I'm looking at uh, you know, Corn Elder, Rasul Douglas, both free agents. How about Greg Newsom out of Northwestern? He's 6'1", 190, uh, battled some injuries in his time there with the Wildcats, but uh, the ball skills are, are tremendous. 21 passes defended in three years there with the Wildcats. He trusts his eyes, takes great angles to the ball, times his jump well. Uh, to make a play on the football, physical on the edge and run support, has the size, the fluidity. He could potentially be a first-round pick if he falls to round two. I think Carolina ends up bypassing the offensive tackle here and ends up going corner in uh, in round number two, which then means you have to go offensive tackle in round three. And one of my favorite players in the entire draft is Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame. 6'6", 305. Could he be a second rounder? I actually had him going to Carolina in round two for a while. 
Um, you know, I think Carolina is going to be on the market for an offensive tackle. I think they try to re-sign Taylor Moten, the right tackle, but I think Russell Okun, look, he was 33 years of age. They can move on from him. Eichenberg, look, model of consistency, easy mover, natural knee bender, tremendous hands, very patient as a pass protector, could definitely use uh, some added strength to bring some more power to the run game, but he's definitely a week one starter in my book, and I think that would make a ton of sense for Carolina there. He just has that mentality that, you know, it just feels like a a Matt Rule type of guy, a guy that's going to bring that lunch pail, be a very workmanlike approach, and uh, I think that's really what Matt Rule is looking for up front. Denver sitting there at number nine. There are rumors that they could potentially move on from Drew Locke. I don't see that happening this year. They could, depending on what happens with Vaughn Miller, look at a guy like uh, like uh, Micah Parsons here. Uh, but I think if, you know, according to just looking at the draft board, how this is playing out so far, I think Caleb Farley is their guy here. I think Caleb Farley is a top corner in this draft, 6'2", 207. Um, really, I, I, I lied. I said said that, but he's, he's the first cornerback taken off the board. J.C. Horn is my QB, uh, is my CB1, and we'll talk about that here when we get to J.C. Horn, uh, you know, when I have him coming off the board. But uh, Denver needs a lockdown cornerback in a, in a serious way, and uh, I think Caleb Far- Farley is going to be that guy. You know, look, you know, he sat out 2020, but he has the size, athleticism, physicality to be a press corner, um, you know, capable ta- of taking over that number one cornerback spot. Look, A.J. Boye, he was released. You know, Brian Callahan's going to line up in the slot. And I think that cornerback position, that release of, of A.J. Boye really told me a lot. They could target Stephon Gilmore in a trade potentially, but I think you know this pick is ultimately going to be used on the top cornerback that's on the board. And in this case, to me, I think it's Caleb Farley. Round two, number 40 overall, the Broncos. Pass rush. Mention you know, what's going to happen with Vaughn Miller, even if he does stick around. Um, you know, look, he has that non-contact ankle injury that sidelined him for all of 2020. Had some of those off-field issues as well. Was the subject of a of an investigation. Final year of his deal. He's 32 years of age. What's going to happen with his future? Look, you know, JJ Watt. We thought he was never going to leave Houston, and uh, he's ultimately been released. Could potentially happen for the former Super Bowl MVP. Um, and look, you got to find a running mate for for Bradley Chubb. You know, even if. Um, Miller is back. You still have to have another guy that can team with Miller because who knows how he will adjust to coming back from that non-contact injury. And I think the best edge rusher in the draft is Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. 6'3", 247. This is a dude, look, you know, he missed those five games following that positive marijuana test that caused him to miss that that Peach Bowl uh, last season. Sat out the first five games, and I'll tell you what, his... When he came back, that changed the whole complexion of that Sooner defense. That Sooner defense, the first few games, was awful. Then all of a sudden, Perkins comes in, and suddenly Perrion Winfrey is getting after it. Uh, you know, Nick Benito stepped up his game. Isaiah Thomas, you know, was was the DN that was holding things down. But Perkins helped elevate his game. That defense just completely looked different. You know, there were guys flying around to the football, and you had Perkins. That energy was was infectious. One man wrecking crew coming off the edge. You know, that burst, the hand usage, the ability to convert speed to power, driving his man into the backfield, also showing his ability to get off blocks, shoot gaps into the backfield against the run. Um, you know, look, as I said, that nonstop motor, guys are rallying to the football in numbers. I mean, you saw the crimson and cream around the football 
um, you know, unlike you know we we've seen it in some time. And, and I, I have to give a lot of that credit. Yes, Alex Grinch, you know, deserves a ton of credit there as the off uh, as a defensive coordinator. But Ronnie Perkins, man, there was a clear change in that in that offense. I'm sorry, in that defense when he took the field. Same goes for for Ramondre Stevenson. That offense struggled with with running the football. Suddenly, Ramondre Stevenson shows up, and man, that was a lethal team down the stretch. Round three, 71 overall. Look, Justin Simmons is a free agent. He's going to command top dollar. If Denver wants to move on, I think they may find his, his replacement in the draft. And I'm looking at Javon Holland out of Oregon. Look, he's 6'1", 196, impressive instincts and ball skills, nine interceptions in two seasons with the Ducks, sat out this past season due to COVID, uh, has some cover skills as well, could potentially take on that receiver in the slot. Um, and then he, he averaged 15.3 yards per punt return uh, in 2019. So I think he could also add some of that special teams value as well, uh, which would up that draft stock a little bit for him as well. So then taking a look at Dallas sitting there at number 10, Rashawn Slater um, is my guy. I think corner could still end up being the pick here. Patrick Sertan, uh, the second, reuniting him with Trevin Diggs could en- end up happening. But that offensive line, it's just, man, Tyron Smith, uh, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, all injured uh, you know, during the season. And it's funny, you know, on paper, Everyone's set in terms of you know, being signed. Um, you know, only Connor Williams is not signed through the 2023 season. But you know, when you've got a guy like like Tyron Smith, you know, he saw that streak of seven consecutive Pro Bowls snap this past season after that neck injury required surgery that cuts into his season after just two games. And you know, 2020 was the fifth consecutive season that Smith missed at least four games due to injury. And when he went down, that offensive line just wasn't the same. When he's healthy. He's one of the top offensive tackles in the league, but how much longer can that body hold up? And, and what's nice about Slater is he has that five-position versatility to where you can line him up anywhere on the line, and I think he can end up being that, that utility offensive lineman in his rookie season. And then ultimately, you know, just history has shown that somebody's going to get hurt, and then you can just plug Slater in, and then ultimately if Smith decides to call it a career or they don't re-sign Connor Williams after the, the, the this upcoming season, then you can end up moving in Rashawn Slater there, you know, with the thought being that whenever Tyron Smith does uh, call it a career, they can end up moving him over to the left tackle position. So I think Rashawn Slater makes a ton of sense here. Uh, you're getting a guy who's probably a, a top five or six player in this draft. Um, so that'd be a nice pickup there for Jerry Jones and company. Um, looking at round two, look, if, if Trevon Merrig is still on the board at 44. I think Dallas has to take that in-state product. Um, you know, I, I think you know TCU. Uh, you know, they had a couple of really nice safeties. You know, Ardarius Washington was the other one, but Merrick, clear-cut top safety prospect, Jim Thorpe Award winner, six interceptions, 20 pass breakups. Um, also, racking up over 100 tackles in the past two seasons for the Horn Frogs. Uh, this is a guy that can play well in the box against the run. Can also, obviously, play over the top in pass defense. He'd be a, a nice upgrade over Xavier Woods, probably gone in free agency. I think that makes a ton of sense if he's there on the board. If not, then maybe they try to go after uh, Andre Cisco. And then at number 75, that's where they can get their corner. And it's not a not a name. You know, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you're expecting a Power Five guy. I'm actually going after a Group of Five dude who ended up actually having uh, 
you know, led the nation with 16 pass breakups in 2020. You know, I, I think that number would, would really catch the eye of, of Jerry Jones, nation leader in pass breakups. Why not? Uh, I'm, and so you look at Shamar Jean Charles out of Appalachian State. He's only 5'11", 195, uh, 190 pounds, but you know he's an instinctive ball uh, ball hawk. Tremendous job driving on the football, challenging receivers at the at the catch point. Um, got pretty long arms, even though he's only 5'11". You know, to me, if Chidobia Wuzier, Jordan uh, Lewis are gone, makes a ton of sense to to nab uh, Shamar Jean Charles there uh, in round number three. Now we're moving on to the Giants there at number 11. And Joe Judge, look, you know, just one one win away from winning that NFC East in his first season. And, and when you look at the passing attack, you got Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram, you know, finished first and then third in receiving yards. Uh, but they also racked up 16 drops between the two of them. Evan Ingram with 11, Darius Slayton with five. And look, I know Evan Ingram was a pro bowler, um, but man, they, they got to get more consistent play out of the receivers. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate were their other two top receiving targets. They're much more reliable, but they're both under six feet tall. You got to have a reliable downfield weapon. That's going to be critical critical for, for Daniel Jones. And Kyle Pitts, like I said, he's special. 6'5", 246, the junior. Not only was he a Mackey Award winner for the top tight end, he was also a Bolitnikoff finalist for the top wide receiver. This dude does it all. The, the, the wingspan, the, the, the ball skills, way too much size for the DBs, too much speed for the linebackers, and for a lot of the corners too. He was running by a lot of guys. And I mean, you know, the ESPN has, has Randy Moss and, and the You Got Moss. I don't know how many times he was doing that to guys like, like Tyson Campbell, to, to JC Horn, you, you name it. Uh, you know, Kyle Pitts was going up against the best, you know, ran away from Kelvin Joseph. It didn't matter who Kyle Pitts lined up against. He was just absolutely dominating him. And I think, if nothing else, you put Kyle Pitts, you can line him up wherever. He can be a you know a receiver type there for, for you. And you look at the impact that, that Travis Kelsey's had, Kyle Pitts will have the exact same impact. You know, and I think that'll just be a welcome addition for, for Daniel Jones, you know, who, who's starving for that, that, that big downfield target. Round two, 42 overall. Giants, I'm looking at Joe Tryon out of Washington. 6'5", 262 pounds. Uh, you know, Leonard Williams, look, you know, had a, had a career year, first full season with the Giants, 11 and a half sacks. Fellow starters up front, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, combined for seven and a half, but then they lacked any type of rush off the edge. Kyler Fackrell did manage to get four sacks, but, you know, look, Jabal shared. Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez, Carter Coughlin manages three sack, three and a half sacks between that group. They need to get better coming off the edge to take some of that pressure off of uh, off that defensive front. Joe Tryon, physical presence coming off the edge, uh, drives his man into the backfield coming off the edge there. Uh, very heavy-handed, decent speed, motor that never quits. Had eight and a half sacks in 2019, sat out 2020. I think that's why he ends up falling to day two. Um, but that'd be a nice pickup there for the Giants. And then moving on to round three, Saquon Barkley had that torn ACL, real blow to the franchise, never really recovered with that ground game. And Wayne Gallman, Alfred Morris, Deion Lewis, they combined for just over 1,200 yards on the ground. Devontae Smith was brought in for just five games. That experience uh, experiment didn't really pan out. And so those, those three other running backs that I mentioned, they're all free agents. 
I think the Giants could be on the market for a complimentary back to Barkley. And Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, 5'11", 191 pounds, sat out this past season, but as a redshirt freshman in 2019, just under 1,500 yards on the ground and 13 touchdowns, also caught 51 passes for another 610 yards. That'd be a nice change of pace to complement Saquon Barkley. Just saying. So we're going to continue to move on. And uh, I feel like we're going to be talking about the same picks in the top 15. So I promise in the next couple of days, I will get another podcast because we're coming to an end here. Uh, you know, I want to go ahead and go over a couple of more teams before we do wrap things up. Uh, but I'm looking at at San Francisco at number 12 and Trey Lance, uh, 6'4", 228 pounds, North Dakota State, redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, look, Jimmy Garoppolo's time in San Francisco has been a rocky one. You know, now he's on the hot seat as a starter, still under contract through 2022, the 2022 season. So the Niners don't necessarily need to replace him right away. But you add a quarterback to the roster, that that is going to be expected. And I, I think they may need to target their quarterback of the future. If this isn't a quarterback, look, Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, Jason Verrett, Jamar Taylor are all free agents. Emmanuel Mosley, a restricted free agent. You know that that leaves two guys, Tim Harris and um, Adonis Alexander, as the only corners under contract currently. Um, but I just you, you look at Trey Lance. If he does fall to number twelve, my goodness, that retro freshman season was ridiculous. 2,786 yards passing, completing 66.9% of his passes, 28 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and ran for 1,100 yards. He is the guy that, that, I mean, that's that prototypical quarterback that's going to be uh, that next generation guy. Uh, you know, he's still he's still young, still developing, and so that's one of the things to where he can play behind Jimmy Garoppolo by his time before he takes over the, the, the team, sit behind him for a year or two. Why not? You know, and then rather than be thrust into that starting spot right away, you saw that it worked out well for, for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so I think a, a similar thing could happen there for Trey Lance. So moving on for the 49ers, uh, you know, I mentioned that cornerback position and uh, Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. Get them, in, get him in round two at number 43 overall, 6'2", 185 pounds, a junior. A lot of people have him coming off the board in round number one in, in their podcast. I'm sorry, in their mock drafts. Um, and look, you know, they need a physical corner on the outside to deal with DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, Robert Woods twice a year. And Campbell often saw the top wide receiver for the opposing SEC teams last year, more than held his own, uses that length to his advantage. Um, you know, and, you know, he, he put out some bad tape. You know, he did get beat, you know, quite a bit um, you know, by some of the bigger receivers as well. But this is a guy who, you know, he hold, more than holds his own. He makes it difficult for the quarterbacks on the outside. Uh, has that tremendous length. Uh, so I think he'd be a nice pickup there for San Francisco in round number two. That's why I, you know, the bad tape, I think, is what causes him to fall. Uh, San Francisco sitting there at, at 103rd overall. They, they need to address their line. You know, they could potentially go with a tackle, but I think ultimately they go to the interior of the line. Aaron Banks, All-American season, 6'6", 330 pounds, very stout at the point of attack physical guy I think he he's a guy that reminds me his player reminds me a little bit of Mike uh, Ipotti just because he's so physical wants to, to beat you up a little bit on the interior of the line shows a little bit of a burst uh, for a big guy as well so uh, you know I, I think Aaron Banks makes a ton of sense for the 49ers there in round number three moving on to the Chargers at number 13 overall Christian Derisaw 
314 pounds, a junior out of Virginia Tech. Look, one thing is clear in L.A., Justin Herbert is their, is their franchise quarterback. Finished the rookie season throwing for over 4,000 yards. Uh, you know, 4,336 yards was, was second all-time among rookies. It was 37 yards behind Andrew Luck for the top. His completion percentage of 66.6 was second only to Dak Prescott's 67.8. Interception total uh, of just 10 tied him with Russell Wilson for fourth fewest. And those 31 touchdowns thrown were the most by any quarterback in history. You got to protect your investment. You can talk about the defense all you want. You got to protect your investment first and foremost. Move Brian Balaga over to the right tackle position. Let's not mess around anymore. Let's get that left tackle. And Christian Derisaw could potentially be the, the top overall pass protector in this draft just with that athleticism very balanced light on his feet also a road grader in the running game and you know he's a top three tackle to get him in there at number 13 would be a nice get for the chargers i think the chargers doubled down um at the offensive line and they actually go after trey uh, trey smith in round number two um, you know it could be a little crazy there but look you know trey smith 6'5", 335 pounds out of Tennessee. And we all know his story. He was a freshman All-American, uh, left tackle there for the Vols. Uh, had the blood clots that, that really eliminated the 2018 season. Was able to get that taken care of. 2019 shows up as a guard. And, and really 2020 was when he finally got his legs under him again. And when you want to talk about power, this dude's got power. You know, he jolts you with that, that punch at the point of attack and gets you off balance, and then once he does that, he's gonna grab onto you and he's not gonna let go, and you're not gonna like what happens. He's gonna drive you down the field and he's gonna plant you. The lateral agility, that's why he's not playing tackle. So there are gonna be some uh, interior pass rushers that are gonna be able to beat him because he doesn't necessarily change directions and move very well laterally. We wanna talk about power. This dude's got power. And so when you look at the Chargers, you already have Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp or free agents, Trey Turner, only under contract for one more year. Makes a ton of sense for the Chargers sitting there in round number two, which then means what do the Chargers do in round three? They have to go corner, right? You know, uh, you look at Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, you know, they're holding things down on the outside, but I think you can stand to have somebody there in the slot. Asante Samuel Jr., 5'10", 180 pounds, a junior out of Florida State. Didn't have an interception until he had three this past season. But he you know, not only has tremendous bloodlines, but high football IQ, tremendous ball skills, fluid athlete, um, doesn't waste any movement, driving on the football to make a play, reads the quarterback's eyes, does a great job there. I think he'll see the field early there for the Chargers as their slot corner. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, Vikings. So here's a team. This is going to be an interesting pick. Vikings at 14. Look, they had, had a top five rushing attack, passing game that finished just outside the top 10. So at first glance, you think, all right, they're moving to the other side of the ball. Then you hear Pro Football Focus said that Minnesota's offensive line gave up 172 of the 214 pressures allowed, a number that was 11th highest in the league. And maybe you're like, all right, well, maybe they do go offensive line. They've already used two first-round picks. You know, uh, I'm sorry, two second-round picks. And Brian O'Neill in 2018, Ezra Cleveland in 2020, and a first-rounder on Garrett Bradbury in 2019. Would they do that again? I mean, it depends on what happens with Riley Riley Reef. You know, and if Reef's off the board, maybe you go Elijah Vera Tucker out of SC. He's got the chops to handle both the tackle and guard positions. You, know, you do have a need of both. 
potentially that could be be the play. But I think the bigger concern, come on, let's let's not mess around. The defense ranked 27th in the league in total defense. You know, I know losing Michael Pierce, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, either due to COVID opt out or injury didn't help. But things then took a turn when Daniel Hunter uh, had to sit out the 2020 season due to a neck injury as well. So I think, you know, they, they did try to beef up, beef up their pass rush, adding Yannick Ngakwe, five sacks in six games. Then he gets traded to Baltimore. His sack total in those six games still ended up leading the Vikings by season's end. I think DJ Warnham looks like he can be a promising rookie, uh, but I think Ifedi Odenabo, you know, in a larger role, took a major step back. That duo of Odenabo and Warnham just average, you know, combined for six and a half sacks, uh, and the team finished for 28th in the league, getting to the quarterback just 23 times. Quiddy Pay, don't just look at the numbers. In four games, he had just two sacks as a senior. But during that time, he also racked up 22 pressures. Dominant edge rusher for the Wolverines. He and Aiden Hutchinson were, they were so much fun to watch. His hands are, you know, tremendous power in those. He bends well coming off the edge as well. Very versatile to both run, rush off the edge and as an interior rusher. That versatility, something that, uh, you know, the Vikings would love to have. And I think Quiddy Pay would pair very well with uh, a guy like, Daniel Hunter, who hopefully will be 100% by, by the start of the season. So Minnesota is without a second round pick. They actually traded uh, traded that to Jacksonville. So then we're going to be moving into round number three. And in round three, you know, Minnesota, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this all plays out. Because you know, I think they do need to, to address the, the the interior of their, their defensive line and their offensive tackle position. So I, I think there's a chance they can get Marvin Williams at that number 79 overall pick. You know, they, they need a three technique. And if they could land Marvin Wilson here, that would be awesome. 6'4, 311 pounds, once a surefire first rounder. Um, you know, offers tremendous size, bursts off the ball, tremendous hands. There's still some people that, that say that they're his, he's their number one defensive tackle. Production didn't always match the potential. In 2019, six and a half of his eight and a half tackles for loss and four of his five sacks were registered in just two games against Louisville and Syracuse. His play was largely inconsistent. His motor ran hot and cold. Uh, he'd lose leverage coming off the ball and get handled easily by a single defender. Uh, you know, to me, I, I just, the eye, you know, the eye test. They said, trust your eyes, trust what you're watching on the game film. And to me, the, the my eyes just didn't see a player that was worthy of being drafted in the first two rounds of the draft. But round, you know, I think round three would be nice value, and I think you know Minnesota at that point, you know, it'd be kind of hard to pass on him. At number ninety-one overall, the Vikings get this pick from Baltimore, and I think this is where they go with their offensive tackle. Uh, Brady Christensen may not be ready to start right away. I think he needs to add some strength. You know, he, he's more of a finesse tackle a guy that's light on his feet, but doesn't generate a ton of power. By six six, three hundred pounds, there were a few guys that were as consistent in pass protection. Though uh, he was a first team All American, um, you know, gets out of his stance so quickly, maintains that low pad level, good knee bend, excellent lateral quickness with that kick slide. Also able to to head off some of those counter moves as well, especially with the, the spin moves to the inside. I, I think. 
He lines up at left tackle. Brian O'Neill can stay at right tackle. I think Ezra Cleveland, you can leave him inside. Garrett Bradbury there at the center position. That offensive line really started to, to take shape. And look, you know, Riley Reef, you can keep him there at left tackle. And depending on how, you know, you don't have to rush Brady Christensen into a left tackle position right away. But if Brady Christensen really starts coming on in, in, uh, in, in the preseason, then consider moving Riley Reef to guard. You know, be worth a shot there. Uh, you know, wouldn't be the, the first time you've, you've seen a, a tackle moved inside the guard. But I think that could potentially bode well um, for the Vikings. So we're going to get through two more teams here, and then we'll call it a podcast. I'm looking at number 15 and the New York Patriots. Or I'm sorry, the New England Patriots. I know uh, New England would uh, New England fans would, would kill me for that, but uh, the New England Patriots sitting at number 15. And we know life after Tom Brady wasn't very kind to Bill Belichick in 2020. Um, you know, I don't need to tell any you know any Patriot fans. You know, they finished third in the AFC East, failed to make the playoffs for the first time since 2018. Or I'm sorry, in 2008. You look at Cam Newton. That experiment didn't expect didn't really pan out for them. Jarrett Stidham made it clear he's not the answer either. So they're going back to the drawing board. And Mac Jones does seem like the perfect Bill Belichick guy preparation you know and hard work seems like a Tom Brady type of type of guy just in terms of that same mentality not the most athletically gifted um, so it makes a ton of sense there but unless they pursue a trade uh, getting up into the draft you know they're not going to be able to, to land Jones maybe you know they have Newton run it back and they bring him back onto the roster um, but I think you know they're looking at that receiver position you know they, they have to get some weapons for whoever's under center. I mean, Jacoby Myers and Demir Bird, both solid complimentary receivers. They should not be leading your team in receiving. I'm sorry. To my apologies to, to Jacoby and Demir, but I, I think they're complimentary receivers. They just, they're, they're not number one wideouts. I mean, they shoot, they, they weren't number one wideouts at their respective universities. So uh, I just, I don't see that happening there for the Patriots. You, know, you look at it, you know, Julian Edelman, you know, he's 34 years of age. You know, only played in six games in 2020, entering the final year of his deal. Uh, and then 2019 first round pick, Nikhil Harry, manages 400 yards uh, receiving and four touchdowns in, in his first two seasons in the league. There just isn't a player on the roster that can stretch defenses vertically. So if you get a chance to take Jalen Waddle, uh, you know, the clone, if you will, of, uh, of Tyreek Hill, you take him. But this is a dude uh, who posted two touchdowns over 80 yards in just six games this past season before his injury. It, it makes a ton of sense to me if you can land him. Could they also use a playmaker on defense? Sure. You know, if Micah Parsons falls, that could be a guy that they can that they can land here. Uh, they had just 24 sacks a season ago, and the only player to register over five sacks was Chase Winovich with five and a half. So Micah Parsons, if he does fall. Jalen Waddle may not be on the board either, but if he is, it, to me, it's a no-brainer. I think, you know, the Patriots, this is a pick that you know, they, they have to make. Uh, 46 overall, Patriots, look, you know, I, I think they need to retool that defensive line. Uh, you know, their top interior linemen, you know, Lawrence Guy, Adam Butler, Dietrich Wise, they're all free agents. Guy's the best of the bunch. He's a team captain, so he'll probably come back. He can play any position along the interior as well. Um, but when you look at the Patriots, I, I think they would jump with the chance to land a guy like Le, uh, Levi Amuzurike. 
uh, in round number two if he falls that far. 6'3", 293, delivers a, a tremendous punch off the ball. Excellent job controlling his man, often bench pressing him to get him off his block, and then just devastating when he arrives to the football. He needs to watch that pad level, though. He, you know, he gets completely neutralized every time he stands up too high out of his stance. And I saw that happen time and time again there for the Huskies. But, you know, Amuzurike, you know, he also sat out the, the, the uh, 2020 season, but he looked solid uh, in, uh, in senior bowl play. So he'll be a guy that could come off the board in round number one, but I think the Patriots would love to land him if uh, he does fall to round number two. I think the Patriots, their other pick, you know, in round number three, 77, uh, was forfeited, but they do get a pick, number 97 overall. And I think they look for another uh, defensive lineman. I think they need to get some some guys that can be disruptive up front. And I'm looking at J2 Fele there out of USC, 6'3", 305, uh, a three-down lineman there for the Trojans, was a quick penetrator against the run, uh, the burst in the hands, along with that nice quick spin move to beat blocks and, and get after the passer. Um, you know, he another guy that needs to watch his pad level can get neutralized when he gets too high coming off the ball, but he's definitely scheme versatile, a guy that doesn't have to come off the field. Um, so I think that's another guy that can be a perfect fit for Bill Belichick. And then finally, let's go to the Cardinals, number 16 overall. And this is where JC Horn, my number one corner, goes. Uh, 6'1, 205 out of South Carolina, the junior. Um, you know, could they potentially go Kadarius Tony here? Um, you know, I, I think they need a number two for, for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I think uh, Tony would be a, an upgrade over Christian Kirk, um, who I, I think still is a solid receiver, but I, I think they need some more, you know, someone dynamic opposite DeAndre Ho- uh, Hopkins. Then there's the offensive, uh, I'm sorry, the outside linebacker position. Chandler Jones under contract the next season, but. Uh, you know, they still have to decide what's going to happen with Hassan Reddick and Marcus Golden. You know, Reddick, career year, so he could potentially be gone. May earn a ton of money after uh, registering 12, 12 and a half sacks and then getting another 16 quarterback hits. Um, Aziz Ojolari could potentially be the guy here. Um, you know, I think it makes a ton of sense, but I think the biggest need right now is at corner. Patrick Peterson, Drake Kirkpatrick, both free agents. Peterson spent all 10 years of, of his career in the league with Arizona. So I think he has to test the free agent market. You know, he could potentially be gone. Uh, Drake or Patrick, one-year rental, I'm thinking, after Robert Alford tore that pectoral muscle before the season. I think Byron Murphy is going to be a keeper, but um, you, know, you may have to replace a, a three-time first-team all-pro all all corner and an eight-time pro bowler. That's a tall task. But I think if you can get a, a physical corner like J.C. Horn, that's a good start at least. Equally adept in man end zone coverage, though I think he's best as a press man guy. Has tremendous ball skills. Uh, Showcase that against some of the top receivers in the country. Um, watch him against Seth Williams there for Auburn. Um, you know, I thought he did a tremendous job all game long. Tremendous bloodlines, the son of uh, NFL vet uh, Joe Horn. Um, I, I think the cards would be excited to land him there in the middle of, uh, of round number one. As you move along for Arizona into day two, I think you have to have them look at a running back at some point in day two. And I'm looking at 49 overall. Uh, you know, Kenyon Drake is is a free agent this offseason. Um, 
finishing just 45 yards of a thousand yards but even if he's re-signed i think they need another another back to take some pressure off the quarterback kyler murray essentially because he was the, sec- the team's second leading rusher i'm looking at javante williams he was the thunder to michael carter's lighting lightning with the tar heels could do the same for drake in arizona or be become a feature back if you need him to uh, racked up nearly 2,100 yards, caught 42 passes the last two seasons with the Tar Heels. Known for that strength between the tackles and the contact balance, refusing to go down after initial contact. But he also has that vision in the cutback lanes, surprising lateral agility to cut on a dime, get to the hole, burst of the second level. Now, if you haven't seen he and Michael Carter, uh, what they did against Miami, it's a must watch. They were ridiculous. Ran for... 544 yards and five touchdowns between the two of them against the U. You know, it was just phenomenal to watch. Uh, you know, and Devontae Williams is 5'10", 220 pounds. Uh, you know, he'll bring some physicality there to Arizona. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, in round number two, I'm a big fan of Devontae Williams. I think his draft stock will only continue to increase. And I mentioned the edge rusher. I'm planning on Hassan Reddick not being there in Arizona. So I'm looking at a guy like Chris Rumpf out of Duke. He's 6'3", 226 pounds. You know, the junior, he's pretty slight, needs to add some weight, but uh, he's one of the more explosive edge rushers coming off the edge. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's, he's he's one of those guys that, if you get your hands on him, I think you can neutralize him, which is why he has to play in space. But look, you know, he still is able to, to shoot into the backfield, you know, 33 tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks, also has five pass breakups, uses his length to his advantage. Um, so I, I think round three is probably the right value. At one point, we were talking about him as possibly one of the top edge rushers in the draft. You watch him in 2020, you know, he still had, he, he had more sacks than he did in, in 2019, had eight sacks in 2020 six and a half in 2019 but it was just one of those things where you know i thought he got outplayed by uh the other edge rusher uh, on that team victor uh who i I think you know could end up being uh, off the board as early as round number four i think he's got some some talent and one of those guys who can be a a sneaky uh underrated player um so those are my first 16 picks in the draft and you know really what those I expect those teams to do in the first two days of the draft so uh you know again made some changes to my first round which is ultimately why we had to kind of backtrack a little bit but I I wanted to at least kind of walk through my thought process in terms of looking at rounds two and three as well because Determining what the what the top need is, who's going to be the best player available, and what's going to ultimately happen in rounds two and three. If you can ultimately still land, uh, you know, a really solid player, you know, a really good player, and a, and a really good fit in rounds two and three, I think you know you have to make the, some of those decisions. And so that, that's kind of how I played some of these things out. And uh, you know, in a couple of days. We'll pick things up. We'll go 17 through 32. And I know that not every team had a pick in round number one. So like for the Houstons, the Seattles, and uh, the Rams, you know, we'll make sure to cover their draft picks. L.A. is probably going to be pretty short. You know, They, they traded away some draft picks. So there won't be a ton there. But Houston, look, they traded away their first and second round picks in uh, in 2020. So not a whole lot to cover there either. Um, but depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson – Things may change and we'll be having a completely different conversation here come April.
So we're going to go ahead and call it a podcast for now. And uh, like I said, in a couple of days, be on the lookout for episode 20, where we'll cover 17 through 32, along with the uh, remaining uh, teams that didn't have a first-round pick. And we'll look at the first two days of the draft. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. Enjoy your week, everyone. Take care. See you in a couple of days. And until then, I am out of here. Take care.